Well, good evening. How's everybody tonight? Good? All right. Well, hey, welcome to Genesis. Uh, my name is Mike, and uh, I'm the pastor here. And at Genesis, we believe in having open doors and open hearts. And so I hope that is true for you tonight. I hope that you felt welcomed and invited on your way in. And I also hope that you came tonight with an open heart uh, because you've been prayed and prepared for. So we're glad that you're here. And as of today, it is two weeks until Christmas. Yes. So uh, just as a reminder, uh, Christmas starts a two-week break for us. And so we'll have service next week, and then we take two weeks off. So because Christmas is on a Tuesday, New Year's Day is on a Tuesday, and we'll come back on January 8th uh, with a night of worship. And so that's going to be an incredible night that you do not want to miss. So just as a reminder for that. So with Christmas so close, uh, I want to ask you a question. And I I want some feedback with this, okay? What is your all-time favorite Christmas present. Kind of have to, <laughs> love of Jesus. That was a, that's a churchy answer. Oh my gosh. Okay. You know, okay, you know, like that, that gift that you can remember, maybe from when you were a kid. Anybody got any answers? Anybody? Are you like still thinking about it? Okay, you got a bike one time. Awesome. Great. What? Your engagement ring, yeah. Merry Christmas, uh, that's good. So drum, drum set? How old were you when you got your drum set? Sixth grade, so like 10, 11, and then look at you now, amazing. <laughs> a puppy, yeah. Uh, Austin said a four-wheeler earlier, I asked him. Did you, do you mind if I share that really quick? Like, you're, So he, he said he woke up and he had like this huge box and he opened it you know, this massive box, and he opened the present, and all that was in there was a map, like a, I guess, a piece of paper, and it led him to the four-wheeler. So I was like, oh, that's kind of a cool, you said, what, you're 10, 10 years old? Um, my, uh, <laughs> my favorite, I, well, I don't know, that I can remember, my favorite uh, Christmas present was getting the original Xbox. When I was, I think, I looked up, it came out in November 2001, so I don't know if I got it that year, but, you know, maybe it was like, eight, I was like eight or nine years old, so, and I remember, I knew that I was getting it, and so I had, like, this countdown on my bedroom door. <laughs> like, every day I would, like, gank off one. Like, okay, now it's nine days till Christmas, you know. So, anyway. Uh, well, it is a, definitely a great time of year. And like I said last week, uh, it almost feels like a, a half day at school. You know what I mean? Like, you're excited. You're ready for some time off. And uh, it's a fun time of year. And, uh, and so I wanted this month at Genesis to be a little bit more laid back, uh, a little bit more lighthearted. And I wanted these messages for this series to be, simple, but still challenging. And so we're in a series called I Told You So. Uh, We're taking an Old Testament prophecy about the birth of Jesus and then finding it in the New Testament, seeing how it's fulfilled. And my goal for this series is to leave you with a deeper sense of gratitude for the coming of Christ. And my hope is that the Lord would remind you of the, the magnitude of this story, of the story of the birth of Jesus, and that the closer that we get to Christmas, the more that it would be on the forefront of your mind. And so, if you would, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 2. And while you're doing that, I'm going to kind of get you up to speed. Uh, Last week, we saw Mary conceive, though she was a virgin, and Jesus was born. And we saw how the the story of God is is often shaped by people who are willing to say yes to the unusual. And so we asked the question, what is the tough yes 
in your life. And, uh, and so, you know, what is the unusual thing that God may be calling you to do? And so this week we are picking up right where we left off. And this week's prophecy that we'll see fulfilled comes from Micah 5.2. And so obviously don't worry about turning there. You're in Matthew. And so this is going to be on the screen. And uh, this is what it says. The Lord said this through Micah around 600 years before Jesus was born. So this is Micah 5.2. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. So we're going to see how this comes into play tonight. So if you would, pray with me, and then we will jump in. God, I thank you for tonight. God, I thank you for uh, bringing us here uh, together, Lord, with uh, one purpose, one goal in mind. That is to see you glorified and to make big of you. So God, I pray that we would not fall short of that goal tonight. And God, I pray over this, uh, this, this word tonight, God, this story in scripture, God, that it may be one that we've heard a, a thousand times. Uh, but God, I pray tonight that it would feel fresh and feel new and feel like it's the first time all over again. And so we thank you for the story of your son. And I pray that it would speak to us tonight. In Jesus' name, we all said together, amen. Awesome. So this is Matthew 2, 1 through 2. And this is what it says. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, Wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So we see some uh, classic Christmas uh, characters step onto the scene here, the wise men. So any nativity scene that you've probably seen has three wise men in it, uh, probably dressed in robes and some tassels and, and things like that. And, uh, and usually there's three of them, uh, but notice it didn't say that there were three of them. The Bible doesn't say how many wise men there were. And so we see that Jesus is, is born, and we see that at the time that he, of his birth that Herod was king, and so a guy named Herod. And, and so these wise men, they come to Jerusalem to tell Herod that they were looking for the king of the Jews uh, because they saw his star when it rose, and they wanted to worship him. And so last week I, I, I mentioned this. When you read the Bible, you may not get a, a ton of details about certain events or certain occurrences. And a lot of times a, a big period of time may be covered or a big event may be covered and really all you get is one sentence or a couple sentences about it. And again, that's the case here. So we get two verses in this, uh, in this first couple verses of Matthew 2. It's just two verses, but there's a lot in there. And I think that's a testament to the depth of the word of God. Um, but I do wanna take a moment and, and kind of talk about these two verses because many of you have probably heard this story before. And if you haven't, that's okay. But if you have heard it many times before, I want you to think about it tonight like it's the first time that you've heard it. Because I think so often when we hear things a lot of, a lot of times or we've heard things our whole life, we kind of just take them at face value and really don't ever think about them deeply anymore. And so we've got this story and, and there are some legitimate questions that can be asked here. For example, who were the wise men? Who were the wise men? Why were they wise? Why did Jesus have a star? How did they know that that star even belonged to Jesus? And how did they know to come to Jerusalem to find him? These are all legitimate questions that if you, you've never, never heard the story before, you'd read this and think, what do you mean they saw his star when it rose? What is that? that doesn't make any sense. Well, the wise men were a group of pagans that lived east of Jerusalem. It says, like they said, they came from the east to Jerusalem. And so they lived in an area that, uh, where Jewish people were uh, at, one, at one point captive and where they used to live. And so uh, they were you know, by all intents and purposes, like, like I said, they were pagans. And so they didn't believe in God. And so they were likely very educated in astrology and 
uh, likely practiced sorcery, and so they were into reading signs and stars, signs and stars. And it's poss- there's two possible reasons why, when they saw the star, uh, that it led them to search for Jesus. And the first possible reason is that because of where they came from, like I said, a place where Jewish people used to live, uh, they had access to the Old Testament. And there is a certain verse in Numbers that says that a star will come out of Jacob or come out of Israel. And so they see the star, they know the verse, and think, oh, maybe that's what that's about. The second possible reason is uh, in their religion, in this, this pagan religion that they believed, uh, movement in the stars signified the birth of a king. And so the, the, either way, it wasn't that they knew the star was about Jesus specifically. It was that they knew that the star signified that a king in the Jewish land had just been born. And Jerusalem was this central city for the Jewish people. And so that's why they went there. And so let's keep reading. And this is, uh, this is the next couple of verses, three and four. Yeah, Matthew 2, three through four. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So we see that the, uh, when King Herod heard, heard this, it says that he was troubled and the whole city was troubled too. And so the question I, I think of when I read this is why would King Herod be troubled when he heard the news? Well, he was troubled because he was intimidated and he was troubled because he was threatened. That he was the king, but he had just heard that this new king had been born. And I love that Jesus, he hasn't even formed a sentence yet. And he's already threatening kings who sit on earthly thrones. And that's a word that you don't use, you don't hear used a lot to describe Jesus, the word threat. But that is exactly what he was to King Herod. I believe that, that Jesus often gets painted a lot of times as this pacifist, polite, pushover hippie, when really that was far from the case. And we see that even when he was a baby. He actually, after he grows up and starts his ministry, he says later on in Matthew that he didn't come to earth to bring peace, but to bring a sword. A lot of times Jesus gets painted as the peace guy, not the sword guy. And so how would your walk with Jesus change if you stop seeing Jesus as this easygoing, serene, good vibes, silent nights, moral teacher kind of guy, and instead started seeing him as this fearless fighter who was willing to lay down his life for the people that he loved, who was willing to stir things up, to make a change, to set things right. Jesus didn't come to make peace with the powers of the world. He came to make war with the powers of the world. He didn't come so that everyone would get along. He came as a warrior to fight against sin and death. Listen to what C.S. Lewis had to say about this. This is a quote from C.S. Lewis. It says, you must make your choice. Either he was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. The book of Revelation actually gives us a look into the spiritual realm at the time of Jesus' birth. And it says that Satan was in a form of this dragon-like creature that tried to devour Jesus the moment he was born, but he was defeated by all the angels. You don't see that in your nativity scenes. That sounds like far from a silent night. That sounds like Satan trying to take out a threat. Revelation 12 is where you can find that if you're interested. So the birth of Jesus, as we said last week, was like an earthquake 
that was gonna shake everything up. And we see that here in Herod's feelings. He's intimidated, he's threatened, he's concerned. So he gathered together all the, the chief priests and the scribes and all these religious folks to help find out where Jesus was to be born. And I just, I find this interesting to imagine. You know, these guys huddling up, pulling out these Old Testament scriptures to try to figure out where Jesus was to be born. It's almost like a scene from National Treasure or something. They're trying to find clues to see where Jesus was to be born. And the scribes, they point King Herod to Micah 5.2, the prophecy that we read at the beginning of the night. So let's keep reading. This is Matthew 2, 5 to 8. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I may too come and worship him. And so they read Herod this prophecy and he tells them, well, if that's the case, then by all means, go to Jerusalem, find him. And when you do, let me know so that I can come and worship him too. And obviously, just because of what we just talked about, Herod is not sincere. When he says this, we know because of how threatened and how concerned and intimidated that he is. And so the wise men, they leave to go to Bethlehem and this is what happens in the next couple of verses. This is Matthew 2, 9. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. So we see that the wise men, they head out to, to Bethlehem and this supernatural star from before comes back and leads them to where Jesus was and they walk into the house and they see him with Mary and they immediately fall down and worship him. And remember, these men did not believe in God. They did not believe in God. They weren't aware or even or, or convinced that this was the son of God, but because they knew he was a king, they worshiped. And this was a look into, this was a foreshadow into how one day, after Jesus grew up and died on the cross, after he lived his perfect life and rose again, this was an early look to how even the Gentiles would one day call Jesus Lord. And this was a look into how the, the truth that one day every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus is Lord. It was a look into how, yeah, Jesus would absolutely come to, to stir things up and to make war against the powers of this world, but he would also come to unite all at the foot of the cross and unite all according to his purposes. There's a lot going on in your nativity scene. There's a lot going on. The next thing we see the wise men do is where we'll see a big application for us tonight. So let's keep reading. This is the next uh, verse and a half. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their country by another way. So you see the wise men offer their gifts and they, they give him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And, it's, and it seems that they stay the night because they're told in a dream not to return the way that they came and not to return to Herod. And so they go home another way. The three gifts that the wise men offered Jesus were of incredible significance, symbolically and practically. So they had gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold is obviously highly valuable. 
uh, and this was a, a symbol of Jesus' kingship. Frankincense was a, a rare incense that was used by priests, and so this was a, a symbol of Jesus being the, the great high priest, as Scripture calls him, being a mediator between God and man. And myrrh was actually used in burials. And so this is a foreshadowing of what Jesus would do and, and the way that he came to die for our sins. But what all three of these gifts have in common is that they're all very rare. They're all very rare, which made them highly valuable, that they were worth money. And so while they had symbolic significance, they had practical significance as well. Because as we'll see more next week, Jesus, Joseph, and Mary were about to have to make a trip to Egypt to save Jesus's life, to spare Jesus's life. And these gifts served as God's way of providing the finances to make the trip. And I've always, I find that interesting, that the gifts that these wise men brought, they were used by, by God to get Jesus, Joseph, and Mary exactly where they needed to be for their safety. And so yeah, the gifts absolutely foreshadowed who Jesus was as a, as a sacrifice and as a king and as a mediator, but they also served an incredible practical purpose as well for what was to come. And I know a lot of times in our lives, especially as young adults, we wonder what in the world we're supposed to do with our life. We wonder what our calling is, what our purpose is, what is God's will for us. Would you say that's something that you think about from time to time? Yes? You need to hear tonight that a good way to figure out where God wants you and what God wants from you is to look at what he has gifted you with. These gifts given to Jesus were provided by God and used to get him to safety. And so what has God gifted you with? What has God gifted you with? Uh, has he gifted you with a talent? Has he gifted you with a passion? Has he gifted you with an interest? He has given those gifts to you for a reason and he wants you to use them to advance his kingdom. I mentioned, I mentioned C.S. Lewis earlier and he explained this very well in the Chronicles of Narnia in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And it doesn't matter if you've seen the movie or not. Three of the, three of the kids are presented with, with gifts and from Father Christmas, no less. And Lucy gets this healing potion. Susan gets a, a bow and some arrows. And Peter gets a sword. And they're so confused as to why they're, they're getting these gifts given to them. But later on, they, they find themselves in this huge battle for Narnia. And they discover that Susan needs to shoot the arrows. Peter needs to use his sword. And Lucy needs to heal people with the potion. And so they weren't sure what the gifts meant, but when the battle begun, they realized why they had been given them. And so for those of us in here who are trying to figure out our purpose in life, our, uh, or God's will for us, or our calling, we need to look at what he's gifted us with. The way that you discover God's purpose for you and for your life is to look at the gift he has given you. The gift that he's given you is the role that he wants you to play in his kingdom. Now here's the truth for you tonight. Your gift is a window to God's will for your life. Your gift is a window to God's will for your life. I was, and I was writing this message and I, I couldn't help but thinking about certain people that I love getting to watch them use their gifts. I think about uh, Ryan's gifting with his camera. And I think about my wife, Emily, and, and Mitch with numbers because they're, they're both accountants. I think about Jacob and his voice and, and a guitar. I think about Austin and his heart for missions. I think about Caroline with nursing, and Jeff with building things and tech. 
Think about Aaron Grow with fixing cars. Think about Sam Richard and Danielle King styling hair. Think about Jake and Andrew with their heart for middle and high school students. Think about Emily Thompson with teaching. If you're trying to figure out where God wants you and what God wants for you, look at your gifts. Look at what he has given you. Look at what you're good at, what you're passionate about. That part of life is usually not a mystery, right? You know what you're good at. You know what you care about. You know what you're passionate about, what you're interested in. Now go and take that and use it for the glory of God. Colossians 3.23 says that you uh, do everything as, as if you are doing it for the Lord, to work hard, heartily as if you are working for the Lord and not for man. And these gifts, these gifts that Jesus was given, they served a purpose. God used them to get him where he wanted him to be. And he's gonna use the gifts that he's provided you with to get you where you need to be. And so I would encourage you tonight to take your gift, take your passion, use it for the glory of God. It was given to you for a reason. So if you would, if you would stand up with me, I wanna pray over you as the band comes back up. I wanna end tonight on a high note. And I know that each one of you in here tonight have a specific gift, a specific interest, a specific passion. I know God has given to you that for a reason. He wants you to use it in your life and use it for his kingdom and for his glory. And so tonight, I know as we, as we go out of this place, as maybe, you, maybe you get that thought again of what is God's will for my life? What does he want from me? Next time you think that, think about what you've been gifted with and what you're passionate about. And your answer probably lies there. Because your gift is a window to God's will for your life. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you so much for tonight. God, I thank you again for bringing us here. And God, I thank you for the story of the birth of, the birth of your son. God, and, and every little detail of that and every prophecy that led up to that, God, and we know that that was divinely orchestrated, God, to set in motion your plan for salvation for us. And I thank you, God, that even in the wise men, even in the shepherds, God, even in the, the manger and Joseph and Mary, God, and every person that played a part in the birth of your son, God, I thank you for that. And I thank you, God, that you didn't leave one detail out. And God, when it comes to our life, God, you see all the details as well. God, if you, you've orchestrated everything, you have controlled everything. And God, we know that you are working all for the good of those who love you. And I thank you for the life that your son lived. I thank you, God, for his perfect life that he died a sinner's death that we deserved, but then that didn't stop him, God. He rose again, and I thank you that what we're celebrating this, this Christmas season is what set all of that into motion. And God, I thank you for every gift that you've given us in this place. God, every person that comes in here with different backgrounds, different, uh, different contexts, God, and different places, but God, you've all given us a gift. You've given us all a gift, God, and I pray that we would start to use that for your glory and to advance your kingdom. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.